Hey, everybody, we are here to tell you about a cool new feature on the website that we would love for you to check out. Head to howtosplitatoaster.com and check out the bottom of the page. You'll find a box floating there that says, quote, ask Seth and Pete, close quote. This box is magical. You just type a question in there and the robots behind the scenes will search the actual audio of our entire library of past episodes and not only give you a short answer to your question, but point you to the specific episodes where we discussed your topic so you can listen yourself. At this point, we're just testing it. To know if this feature should be a permanent feature on the website, we need your help. For that, we need you to ask a lot of questions. So head to howtosplitatoaster.com and click the box, Ask Seth and Pete. The robots will do the rest. On with the show. Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today, we're teaching your toaster to bounce back. Welcome to Season 8, everybody. I'm Seth Nelson. I'm here, as always, with my good friend, Pete Wright. Today, we're talking about resilience. It's an easy word to throw around when you're feeling strong, but when you're confronted with divorce, finding the same strength can feel impossible. Michelle Dickinson is a resilience coach, speaker, and author, and also leads a successful resilience coaching practice where she and her coaches work with individual clients to help them reclaim balance and personal power and create better structure and routines to help them feel more in control of their emotional well-being. Michelle, welcome to the toaster. Thank you for having me. Okay, Michelle, I'm so glad you're here. I think you are going to teach us a lot. But for people who have never heard of resilience coaching, We need to start with some definitions. So what is it? Why do I need it? And how did you find yourself in a place to deliver it? (laughs) All really good questions. So the first question I will answer is a resilience coach is someone that helps, helps an individual find their balance in their life because they've lost it for some reason. And many people coming out of COVID have lost boundaries and balance in their life. So they are on the verge of burnout or they are um, compromising their mental health just by what they are doing every day or what they're not doing every day. So I help people rebalance themselves and also look at their mindset that's preventing them from making themselves a priority. Okay. So that's it. That's a great explanation. Now, why are you doing it? How did you end up here? Yeah, it's interesting, right? Like I spent 19 years in the pharmaceutical industry and I thought I saw myself retiring from that industry, but I was invited to give a TED talk about my mom. My mom was bipolar and growing up with her, what that experience was like, that was inspiring by itself to be on the TED stage. That led me to write my memoir, which would expand on that story and really help people understand what mental illness was. That would lead me to advocacy around mental health. And then from advocacy around mental health, I decided I wanted to be part of the solution, not 
just, you know, talk about it. So I left the industry and started my own private practice because I believe that there are things we can be doing to preserve our emotional well-being and mental health. Man, Seth, I mean, you know, this is one of those things. Like, I feel like when I'm in crisis mode, I don't know that I'm in crisis mode always, right? Like, it feels like that thing might be a thing that you run headlong into when you're going through a divorce and the divorce process. Like, you don't even know how compromised you are. You're so compromised, right? Yeah, I mean, I always viewed, um, you know, not having good mental health as something that was over there that my mom had. But it wasn't until a life event, the life event of a divorce, that I was confronted with my own mental health. So yeah, it was definitely one of those things where I was like, uh, help me. And I got a therapist and I asked for drugs and he said, no, you're going to find help. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm in the pharmaceutical (laughs) industry. There isn't a pill that I can just take and everything will be fine. (laughs) Well, I'm out. (laughs) So him forcing me to find healthy vices to recalibrate myself was the greatest gift because now that's actually what I'm helping people do in terms of getting ahead of it before they hit that crisis or burnout. You you mentioned something that I thought was really interesting is like you have to confront your own mental health. And what I've seen time and time again is a person going through divorce will say, I thought I was doing everything that I was supposed to do. So stereotypical roles here for the concept. The wife slash mother... I stayed home. I took care of everything. I made sure the kids got where they needed to do. I was trying to support my husband in his career. I did all the heavy lifting with the children. I would go to these events, and I'm not social. I'm an introvert, but he would have to go to these cocktail hours and dinners, and I was, you know, really needed to be there to support his career, and I did all that. And they lose who they are in the process. But the flippish side is true. I've had Cases where the husband, in my hypothetical, was like, I did everything I thought she wanted me to do to provide. I was traveling. I missed the kids dearly, but that's what I needed to do because I had this job and we got this house and then I got a raise and then we wanted to put the kids in private school and I'm doing everything. And then the next thing I know, my wife's leaving me and now I have to give her how much money? Right? Like people just get lost in their roles and not connecting. So is that something you help with on being resilient? How does that tie in? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've had people, the problem I think that people do that I've seen is they wear an identity that their, their job is their identity, right? That they, they lose themselves and then something goes sideways in their job and suddenly they don't even know who they are without that identity being front and center. Like I recently had a lovely woman. And I just said to her, I'm like, are you your job? Or are you a mother? And are you a wife? And are you um, a, a dancer? And are you an artist? But Michelle, isn't that really history? Isn't it like, oh, Joe the cobbler, Pete the baker? I mean, where do we think the last name Baker came from? Right? Or Smith, <laughs> you were the blacksmith. 
right? I'm laughing because you're Nelson, and all I can think of is wrestler. Like, you're either a full Nelson or a half Nelson, and now I can't get it out of my head. <laughs> right. Okay. If anyone's seen how tall I am, it's definitely a half Nelson, maybe a quarter Nelson, okay? This is on you. But I think this is really important, Seth, and I feel like I've been kind of living through that this weekend. My son talked me into going to another high school play only because he had a crush on the girl who was playing the lead. And I didn't know that until we sat down, and he says, hey... She's really cute. But the problem the problem that I have with it is that I'm watching this high school play and I was a theater kid. Like all I could think about was sort of wallow in a little bit of lost youth, right? The idea of sitting in your identity, how like that hits you smack in the face when your identity is married and suddenly it's divorced, right? Learning to live with and love this new identity has to be the Everest of emotional well-being post-divorce, right? Like, I'm not making that up, am I? You know, it, de- it depends. I mean, like, for me, I got married fairly young, and it- it's very common for people to blend into their relationship and not keep their individuality. Um, and I think it was it, one of the rubs in my marriage was that I wanted to grow and expand. And so as I was growing and expanding, I was growing further and further apart, which which is the challenge, right? So... Um, but some people don't grow, they stay, and then they are even more, um, as an identity of, you know, what social, how they are perceived in social settings, right? Like, this is just who we are, right? That's why when people go and go through divorce, you go, but you, you look like you have the most perfect marriage, right? Like we say that, right? But I think that I, I do think that people do get lost in their relationships, and they don't nurture themselves and what makes them happy. How do you show up in a relationship if you're not fueling what or fanning your flame as an individual, right? So how does this relate to being resilient? One of the biggest questions that I always ask people is like, what is your level of joy? It's so basic, but you would be amazed how many of my clients have very little joy. And it could be because of life circumstances, what we've lived through, like in the pandemic, where we've gotten numb to, you know, it's survival. We went through a period where it was pure survival joy. What is that about? But I think people have lost their sense of joy. So if you lose your sense of joy, like, then you're at the effects of life. You don't have anything that you're doing for you because you've sort of, you're, you're sort of block about it. So I check in with people and ask them about their sense of joy and, and what what lights them up. And um, and for a lot of folks, like they don't even know what they like to do outside of manage a home and work a job. So it's, it's just an exploration. Well, there's sort of a couple of questions floating around my head. And the first one is taking this idea of resilience and making it a practice, like a day-to-day practice, and you hit on joy. It feels like that is front and center when you're looking at how to make it a daily practice. If you're finding joy every day, somehow, is that a little part of the practice that makes you more resilient when you're confronted with ills? For sure. For sure. You are a Mm -hmm. reflection of what you do every day. And most people are not taking care of themselves mentally or emotionally or physically. And they wonder why they wake up one day and they're depressed or they're sad or they're um, struggling with anxiety because they have so much noise in their head and they're not nourishing themselves. So 
Yeah, that's one of the ways I help people is I say, what do you do every day? Are you doing anything for you every day? Or are you on a constant roller coaster of sacrifice? Like, I'm just going to sacrifice like you, the example of the father, right? Like, I'm just doing what I need to do to take care of what I need to take care of. But like, what is he showing up the best version of himself to his kids and to his to to, to the world? Yeah. So it's interesting you say that about taking care of yourself, because this morning, literally, I was on my bike at 5 a.m. And I was saying, I'm going to ride for 20 minutes before I have to get ready to go about my day. I know I had to get into work early. And I always think that when I'm getting out of bed, I'm like, oh, man, I just want to sleep. But I never regret a workout. Even if it's a bad workout, I never regret it. I feel better. I feel more energized. The dopamine's going, like all that good stuff. And so if that means that I have to get up at five to spend that quality time with myself to get that going, then that's what I do. But that that's hard. It's hard getting out of bed at five, right? Yeah. I mean, I right now, I have about 50 people that I'm coaching and I'm about to scale my business. And one of the things I've learned over the past 18 months is the majority of people are falling into their day. They're literally waking up and falling into their day. They're hitting snooze, hitting snooze, catapulting out of bed, high cortisol, uh, rushing to get a cup of coffee, hit traffic, and then they're at work and there's an onslaught of stress there. So that's, first of all, like one of the biggest challenges is stop falling into your day. Start being more intentional about self-care. Start getting up and doing a little bit of movement or having a moment for yourself. Taking ownership of agency in your life. I think that's really important. Like, of the things, you know, Seth, here, you and I talk about, I get it. I I never regret a workout either. Only because my joy comes from having done it and being finished with it. And that's kind of fine. I hate getting up and doing it. There's no joy in that. But I sure do love finishing it. I hear people say all the time, I love sleeping in. Well, that's fine. But also... It sure feels like you lose the ability to complain when you're just high stress and, as you say, Michelle, fall into your day. That might be fine if you're doing something for yourself later. Like, you got to get moving. You got to eat healthy. You you need to have awake time where you're focused on you. It can't just be all sleep time, right? For sure. I mean, and and that's, you know, a lot of people, a body in motion stays in motion, right? A body at rest stays at rest. People don't realize what they're doing it when they, when they forego movement. Like I don't even say hit the gym or, or do anything rigorous. I just say like, go for a walk outside in nature, have the sun on your face, get some fresh air in your lungs and just notice how you feel. Like it doesn't take a lot. It doesn't have to be this exercise bandwagon that I'm just jumping on here. It could be get up and make yourself a nice breakfast. It could be have a cup of coffee and read the paper. Like whatever it is that 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 focuses on you where you're not playing any other role in your life. Mother, job, parent, uh, child, helping an elderly parent. Okay, Seth, how do you confront the catalog of excuses? You know, the catalog of excuses like, well, I can't go outside for a walk right now because my shin splints are acting up. And also, my God, have you seen the allergies? Like, this is some kind of straight up hell outside and I just can't do that. So I better stay in bed like there's sort of litany, right, that I can recite about anything. 
I can find a way not to pursue things that bring me joy because of the catalog of excuses. And my hunch is the closer we get to banishing the catalog of excuses, the closer we get to feeling more resilient in our days. Does that ring true to anybody? Michelle, it does to me with my clients. Go ahead. You you go first. You're lighting up there like you were going to say. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the things I was I was about to say was about stress. Like, it's inevitable we're going to have to deal with all kinds of stress in our life. The only thing that we have control over is how prepared we are to deal with stress. And so if you are not prepared to deal with stress because you hit snooze five times and slept in and you're like just you know, coming to the plate and you're, you're just, you know, at the effects here instead of like really being intentional about your day and your morning and how you start it, like you're not going to be able to navigate stress. And so that's what I try to get people present to is like, listen, you know, you're going to have a large helping of stress tomorrow. So what are you going to do today to decompress and clear your head? So you're ready for it. So other than getting up and working out, how are you more mindful throughout the day? Because you mentioned balance boundaries and a mindset. So talk about what can someone do in the middle of their day, or if they know there's about to be a stressful encounter, they have a spouse coming home that they know is going to just be tense, or, and and how do you kind of deal with that in real time? Well, there's a lot of things. I mean, a couple of the things that I'm really a big advocate about only because I implement it in my life every day is clearing your head through meditation or prayer, whatever your thing is, um, and just making some time to just to close some of the browsers in your head, because that's really what's going on. You have a lot of things going on in your head. You're trying to juggle it all. That leads to anxiety. That leads to being wound too tight. So a short pause in the middle of the day for a meditation is probably like one of the greatest things you can do for yourself. <laughs> you just gave me a new metaphor that I'm going to use forever. I just need you to know, like it's, I'm always on the hunt for a good metaphor, but brain browser tabs, Michelle, that is alpha metaphor material for me right now. That is amazing. Yeah. I, right yeah, when you said on. it, I'm like, oh, Pete's hooking on. on that one. He's taking that bait. <laughs> I got a bazillion tabs open on the browser in my brain. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. <laughs> and all I was thinking when she was giving this about you can meditate, you can do this, I was like, please don't say journal. I know. Please I don't say it. journal. <laughs> I was about to bring up just how much you love journaling. No, I feel like, you know, whatever your thing is, do it. But for me, it's exactly that. Like the idea that I can and that it is this word I keep coming back to is making it a practice, like how it can feel like an incredibly heavy load to turn this thing that is ostensibly for me, you know, it's supposed to bring me joy, but how hard it is to sit down and do it the first seven days, like that first bit of commitment. Can we talk about that for a exactly. bit? Just in the beginning though, Pete, it's not that long. Like, so how do I help my clients? Like we go through a whole resilience audit. We look at areas that we, that they're going to tweak. Right. And then I hold them accountable because we just got to give them a running start after like the first week or two, they're now realizing, oh my goodness, I can't imagine not doing this. And what, what I actually challenge them to do are things that are so easy. They can't not do it. So it has to be easy and they have to be held accountable to integrate it. And then they're... What's an example of something easy that you can be held accountable for? I mean, it could be, I'm going to make sure I get, instead of sitting at my desk at lunch and eating eating at my desk, I'm going to get the walk-in at lunchtime. 
I'm going to, every morning before I look at my phone, I'm going to practice gratitude and do a short meditation before I check email, right? If I'm just going to do that for me. And then they realize, oh, I actually can feel good before, um, you know, before I start my day and have my cup of coffee. A lot of people roll, you know, roll out of bed after they've been scrolling on their phone for 15 minutes in bed. That's no way to start your day. Right. So I do, um, my wife and I trade off duties for the morning dog walk. We get up early, we get it out of the way and do the dog walk. And for me, I use that I'm an Apple Fitness guy. I use Apple Fitness, and so I love it for a couple of reasons. One, there's a giant clock in the corner of the screen, and it counts down to tell me when I'm finished. And when I'm finished, I celebrate the hell out of that. Like, that is my fantastic way to start the day. I feel a little bit sore, but pretty good. And I've done something, and there's an accomplishment. And I think that's, for me, it's very much that sense of accomplishment that comes with doing something and feeling stronger about it. Seth, we've already talked about working out. What is another thing that you do? Give, give me an example. What is the thing you do? I do something in the moment that it's happening. When stress comes my way, I think about this thought in my head, this too shall pass. And that just gives me a moment to say, how big of a deal is this? How worked up? am I going to let myself get when I know that this too shall pass? Um, when I'm at my worst is in two situations I know. One is when I'm tired. When I'm tired, I just have a short fuse. I'm like over it, I'm done, and I get really quiet. The other time is when I just have too much in my own mind things happening at once, incoming fire. Like when I'm dealing with five or six or seven or eight or nine things and, and I can't, in my own mind, prioritize what is the main issue here where I just have to say to everyone, stop, right? And those are the two, but being tired, I know is a trigger for myself. Um, now, the reverse is true too because I don't believe in really big highs or really big lows. I like to be more even keel. So sometimes when something is just amazingly great, I also say this too shall pass because I don't want to get that addiction that everything always has to be amazing and always searching for that because, you know, sometimes it's just an okay day. I came in, I didn't have a lot of client contact, my phone wasn't blowing up, but I got a lot of work done on drafting agreements. And that's not a day where you feel great, like you really helped someone because maybe you got no feedback from your client. Did they like it or the other side? But I just grinded through it. I did the work. I know I'm moving a case forward. And, and then you go make a nice meal with your son like we did last night. And that brings me joy, right? So those are some things that I know when I'm tired, I really have to think. Watch yourself. Check yourself. And I feel it coming on. It's physical. It's not just mental, but in the actual moment, this too shall pass has helped me a lot. You made me think of another one that I want to run by you. It was probably, I don't know, not about five years ago, I started feeling like my work with clients was getting incredibly stressful. 
I started to realize that it was because I was taking on client fires as my own. And this mantra, and it's like everybody is stressed about everything and taking time for me to reflect on the fact that their stress is not my stress, that they're on fire about something that does not impact me. Pete, I have that exact, exact feeling, but I have been doing this divorce work for a long time. And my kind of mantra on that, which I was in court and the judge said it, he goes, we don't build them, we just fly them. Right. These problems that these couples are going through have either been developing for a lifetime based on how their childhood is or whatever, or at least during their marriage, losing yourself, not setting the boundaries, not being resilient, not being mindful, everything Michelle's talking about. And they've been married for 20 years and they're coming to me and emotionally they're done. They've gone through the emotional divorce and now they call me and say, I'm done. I want to get divorced today. And I'm like, you just called me. The legal process takes six to 18 months. Right. And, and they're just, that just ignites the anxiety, the frustration, the I'm still connected to this person. And I'm like, good news is emotionally you're moved on. We just only have one part to get through. Most people call me, they're still going through the emotional divorce and they're not ready to even start the legal divorce, right? Or a combination of the both. So, um, Michelle, did you have that experience when you were going through this wonderful process called divorce? Yeah, I mean, it, it was, it, it's sad, you know, it's, it's the death of a marriage. So it was, it was not an easy experience for me. Um, and yeah, there was, you know, a whole myriad of emotions that fly around with that and, Honestly, though, one of the things that helped me get through it was like I threw myself into training for a triathlon. Like when I was diagnosed with depression and I told my doctor and I said drugs, he said no. He said healthy vices. My cousin was like, you're going to do a triathlon. I'm like, I'm going to do what? I love your cousin. But it helped immensely. Michelle, I was training for a half Ironman when I have all these injuries now because I'm 53 this year and I'm, I'm not 20, but I have these healthy vices to the point where I was super fit and I texted a picture of like my body competition or composition that you get from the printout from the doctor to my fiance. And I said, do you love me for my abs? And <laughs> she amazing. said, yeah. she said, why else would I love you? Which was a fair point. But, but, but let's talk about those healthy vices because that is a game changer for people. Oh yeah. I mean, my story is I went to court on Monday to finalize my divorce to my ex. And two days later, I lost my corporate job. <gasps> so it was like, it was like a double whammy. Oh, body me, blow, right? right? Like, I was like, oh, yeah. so I'm really, I'm really flying without a net right now. <laughs> so I had a choice, like, you know, I could have imploded or I could have said, all right, what area of my life is quasi going well? And it happened to be my health because it wasn't my personal life and it wasn't my employment. So I just dove headfirst into training and you know what it's like to train for any race. Like then you get, you get your diet in check and then you start looking good and you start feeling good and you just go, maybe I'm not so, maybe I'm not so bad. Right. And so, and then you cross the finish line you're like, well, if I could do that, well then I can pretty much do anything. Right. That's right. So it's, that's right. It's a total mental game. So I always say, find an area of life that's working and run it in the ground because it's going to help you in those other areas that aren't. That's called the revenge body, by the way, Pete. Yeah. <laughs> get divorced, get fit. Look at what you lost. <laughs> All right. Well, just as we lean in toward ending here, 
I'm interested in just looking at for people who are finding themselves in this place where they feel out of control, like where they feel like they're lost. What do you do? Let's say you're you're coaching us, and uh, maybe you can give us some ideas on how we can be more resilient day to day. We've talked about finding joy, but like, you know, 8 a.m., day one, where do we start? How do we think about it? You have to look at your emotional health like you look at your physical health. What you do every day matters, and what you don't do could compromise your ability to be strong and resilient and balanced. So, like... Thinking about starting to shift your self-care, your relationship to self-care as not an option you get to if there's time, but rather I'm carving this meaningful time out for me to do X. Because Pay yourself first. Right. Because, because I know if I do that, I show up better in the world, right? And so it's making it a non-negotiable that you will take care of yourself every day and not wait for the massage next Saturday or the spa day two months away. It's an ongoing self-care like uh, process. So it's the exercise. It's the good diet. It's the meditation. I tell my clients all the time, practice gratitude. The mind is not wired to make you happy. The mind is wired to protect you. So it's doing its job when it's looking for all of the things that are wrong. So the way to shift that is to really start to be acutely aware of all your blessings and don't step over them anymore. So a daily gratitude practice can really shift your whole mindset and your whole perspective um, and help give you a little bit more momentum. What do you, what do you say in, in that spirit? What do you say to people who are in the middle of the pain of a divorce, right? They're finding these points where it's testing them in court is terrifying and their attorney is probably oppressive and horrible. Who knows? You're dealing with family and former spouse and in-laws and the dynamics of shifting sort of family politics and friends are picking sides. Like those are all points that are like daggers and having a response, like a resilience response to those, I imagine is a handy tool. What do you say to that? So there's two ways of looking at life. Life is either happening for you or life is happening to you. And in many cases, a lot of people are believing that life is happening to them. And then when they believe that, they wear the identity of victim. Instead, if you can shift it and say, this is happening for my highest good. I can't see it right now. It's pretty dark. But I do believe that I'm going to emerge from this just like I've overcome any challenge in my life and I'm going to be okay. But it does start with the belief, is life happening to you or is life happening for you? That's pretty good, Seth. That's pretty good. Yeah, I was I trying know. to keep my mouth shut because I didn't think I could follow that up with anything solid. We just have to use it as if Michelle's not here. I think it might just be the title of the show. Michelle, your lawyer is aggressive and horrible. <laughs> it's a lot better than your lawyer sucks, which we, you are basically... <laughs> your lawyer is aggressive right. and horrible. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we want to be uplifting here, Pete. <laughs> Michelle, let's plug a little bit because I think you're, just this idea of a resilience coach is new to listeners of this show. We've never talked about a resilience coach specifically on the show. I am so interested in just giving people an opportunity for those who want to talk to you, especially as you're ready to scale your business. That's fantastic. A little bit about what you do and where you want to point people. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the best place to follow me um, is going to be on LinkedIn. It's pretty much my second home. Um, and I do provide free 
resilience tips on TikTok, resilience coach Michelle. So if you're finding yourself on TikTok at night and you want to get some resilience, you can go there. Um, just reach out to me. I mean, I, I have all kinds of packages to, uh, to meet people's needs. And it's really, I am not in this for a long-term codependent coach um, client like relationship. I, I probably go against every coaching model out there. I really just want to get in there, make a difference for you, give you new habits and, and uh, day-to-day strategies, empower you, and then have you on your way. So if you think it can help you to sort of recalibrate and take a look, take a hard look at what you do and what you're not doing, certainly reach reach out to me. I'd be happy to chat. Well, thank you uh, so, so much, Michelle. Uh, we so appreciate you for being here. And thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. We deeply appreciate you for being here as we kick off Season 8 of this podcast. It is amazing that we are still kicking, still kicking around the law and divorce and a lot of hope on this show for eight whole seasons and more to come. So on behalf of Michelle Dickinson and Seth Nelson, America's favorite divorce attorney, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next week right here on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with NLG Divorce and Family Law with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, how to split a toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of NLG Divorce and Family Law. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida. Seth, according to the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, about 10% of children live with a parent with an alcohol use disorder. It's just tragic. Pete, we hear this statistic all the time. At the end of the day, the courts don't care about the statistic. The courts care about keeping kids safe. And when I mean safe, I mean safe from a party who truly suffers from an alcohol disorder or is being wrongly accused of having alcoholism or some other alcohol disorder. It's easy and it saves you money. Instead of he said, she said, there's Soberlink. Soberlink is fantastic and they are a fantastic partner to this show. So what is Soberlink? Soberlink is a device. It's like a breathalyzer, but it is more. You blow into Soberlink whenever you want to prove in real time that you are safe to be with your kids at carpool, at drop-off, at handoff, whenever you're going to be driving, you blow into Soberlink. It uses facial recognition to prove that you are the one blowing at the time that you are taking the reading. It sends it off to the people who need to know. People involved directly in your case, not to be used for publication, not to be used for social media. This just goes to the people who matter most for your case as you are collecting data. Soberlink Remote Alcohol Monitoring has helped over 500,000 people prove their sobriety and provide peace of mind during parenting time. And Seth, word on the street is courts love it. Yeah, and it's not just when you're getting in a car. Let's be clear. People can say, never gotten a DUI. What's the issue? Well, the issue is once 
you're home at five o'clock and you're no longer driving, but you're going to start cooking and having a glass of wine and that glass of wine turns into two bottles. That's now an issue. So it's not just getting in the car. It's when you, the children are in your care, custody and control, are you focused on them and not using alcohol? Independent third party real time verification to support your case. I haven't been drinking. Here's the proof. Those are the words that lawyers and courts love, but here are the words you're going to love. You can save 50 bucks off your device and get started right away at Soberlink.com slash toaster. That's Soberlink.com slash toaster. Thank you to Soberlink for sponsoring this show. 